You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. Well, in our last study together, we saw Jesus at the zenith of his popularity at the beginning of John chapter 6. It occurred after his feeding of the 5,000 miraculously with the loaves and the fish, and the people wanted to name him and force them in many ways to be their king, hoping to even take him by force and require him to be their king. And Jesus, after a night of isolation and then going out to his disciples who were rowing on the water, walking to them on the surface of the water. The crowds eventually chase him down and figure out his location. And when they come to him, Jesus begins to explain to them that they are only following him as a result of the food that he created for them to eat. In other words, they weren't following him for the right reasons. They didn't understand his real and true identity. And so Jesus, you know, told them to do the works of God. And they say, what is the work of God that we should do? And he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so faith in Christ, trust in Christ. But then he explains to them in verse 35 of John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall Never thirst. Now, like I mentioned in our last study together, this is an allusion to the Old Testament where God referred to himself as the I Am. You might remember when Moses received his calling from God uh, there at the burning bush passage in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3. He asks God and he says, Who shall I say has sent me? And uh, God responds by saying, Tell them, I am has sent you. And so, God referred to as the I am, and in the Gospel of John, there are various I am statements from Jesus. But this first I am statement from Jesus is very simple. I am the bread of life. And today in our text, we're going to unpack what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. How how do we receive from him? What is the benefit to us of Jesus operating as the bread of life? But this is a metaphor that we are familiar with. Uh, We devour books, right? We drink in lectures. We chew on a point that someone has made. We eat our own words. Grandchildren look at their grandparents, look at their grandchildren and say, I could just eat you alive. And we understand what is being said. And so Jesus here points to himself as the bread of life. This is one of the statements of Jesus that could not possibly spoken by simply a good man or a prophet or a spiritual guru. No, Jesus is saying, you eat of me and you have life. I am the bread of life. Very powerful statement. As we move on into verse 36, Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But in verse 36, he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now this is powerful in the sense that they had potentially been thinking about Moses. Right? And they'd been thinking about Moses and the way Moses had been giving them or had given them bread in the wilderness, their descendants. And as they're thinking about Moses and his provision, you know, sort of comparing what Moses had done and bringing the manna every single day for the people of Israel for 40 years, feeding an entire nation of people, comparing what Jesus had done to that work made Jesus' work look relatively small. Right? Jesus fed 5,000 people in one little region for one meal. Yet Moses had fed a whole nation for 40 years. And of course, Jesus had clarified and told them, Hey, you think it was Moses that gave the bread? No, I gave the bread. But then Jesus goes on to explain that in actuality, what he is doing is far greater than than what Moses ever did. Because Jesus himself is the bread of life. And this life is more than just sustenance for 40 years of wilderness wandering, but it is spiritual life. And that's what he says in verse 40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Far greater than, you know, uh, being set free from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and and uh, gaining victory over some kind of physical enemy. There is a spiritual enemy called the devil. There is a flesh. There is a fallen nature. There is death itself. And Jesus makes the way for a man or a woman to conquer all of that. A far greater victory than Moses gave the people of Israel over Pharaoh. So the Jews, verse 41, grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And of course, it's so interesting to note that those who were familiar with Jesus, familiarity, their familiarity, made it very difficult for them to believe in Jesus, very difficult to receive Jesus. Jesus. And uh, this made sense to them. They looked around. They said, hey, we, we know Mary and we know Joseph. And so their logic told them that they knew of Jesus's origin. And they came to the conclusion his origin cannot and must not be heaven. Uh, we know his parents. And uh, of course, they were ignorant of his true origin, uh, not the real son of Joseph, but the son of God, uh, is born through a woman uh, named Mary. And so powerful. Now, this is an interesting uh, little phrase from these people because it apparently gives us a little hint into the rather benign and non-miraculous childhood of Jesus. Don't you think if Jesus had been walking around his entire life doing a bunch of different miracles, as a child, or as a young man. At this point, people would say, well, you know, we know that he's the son of Joseph and Mary, but man, there's something different about him. We've known this for forever. Maybe he has come from heaven. 
but they make no mention of any miracles or any such thing. Uh, Instead, they just say, he cannot be from heaven. We know his parents. And Jesus answered them, verse 43, and said, do not grumble among yourselves. This would be a wonderful little allusion to the Old Testament parallel of the feeding from heaven in the manna. Uh, The people eventually grumbled about food, which brought them manna in the first place, and then they eventually grumbled about the constant delivery of the same meal, day after day, month after month, year after year, and they grumbled over the manna, or grumbled over their lack of food. And here Jesus looks at them and declares himself to be the bread of life, and, and they immediately grumble, and he says, do not grumble among yourselves. No one, verse 44 Uh, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so a powerful statement from Jesus. He looks at these people. They did not understand him. And uh, he says, listen, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now this is interesting because what we're seeing here is that any assessment of Jesus outside of and without the Father's help will be an inaccurate and dead wrong assessment of Jesus. And so he looks at these people and he says, listen, you're going to need the Father's help in order to figure out who I am and in order to come to me in the first place. Now, of course, this doesn't decrease our responsibility at all in this same section. Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus would cry out and say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But there is no coming, there is no belief without a little bit of help from the heavenly Father. And so Jesus points that out. And in verse 45, he says, as it is It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And so notice the prophets, they will all come to me. Likely from Isaiah 54, verse 13, all people without distinction will be taught by God. God will speak, God will move, and will draw human hearts. And uh, he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is the only one who has actually seen God. He communicates. And this, of course, echoes uh, what John had written in his preface to the entire book. Uh, John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known speaking of Jesus. And so he says, no one has seen God except for myself. I've seen the Father. Truly, truly, verse 47, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Okay, so he goes back now to the message of being the bread of life. They're they're balking at his major claims, but he goes back to this claim of being the bread of life And now the concept of eating is going to dominate the text. So let's read on. Verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, of course, the manna in the Old Testament that came down day after day from God, six days a week, enough on the sixth day for them to save for the seventh day, the Sabbath. That manna was weak and temporal. But Jesus' body is vital and eternal. It gives life for all of eternity. As John said in John 1 verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so now Jesus has reintroduced the subject of being the bread of life. Now this next little section, starting in verse 52, Jesus is going to unpack and expand this bread message, that he's the bread of life. And he is going to make comments that if he's been controversial up to this point, these comments are going to get him into serious hot water, not that he cares. So the Jews, verse 52, then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, they're, they're concerned about this. What, what does this mean? They're trying to figure out his meaning. It's one thing for Jesus to say, I'm the bread of life. Eating, of course, is implied. But then to actually verbalize and go a step beyond and say, You've got to eat of my flesh. And uh, the, the bread that I give for the world is my flesh. And so they ask the question, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This was something that was horrible in the Jewish mind. And Jesus goes on in verse 53 and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, Notice that addition. He adds, and drink his blood. You have no life in you. All right? So this is extreme in the Jewish mindset. I mean, obviously, cannibalism, eating the flesh of another human being, is grotesque to all of us. But then combine that with the drinking of blood. And this is, of course, grotesque to any civilized person. But for the Jew, this was especially horrible. In Leviticus 17, verse 10 through 14, they were given a strict prohibition against even eating the blood of an animal with the flesh of the animal. The blood had to be separated and poured out onto the ground. And so for Jesus to say, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, this is rather extreme and rather grotesque in their minds. Now, of course, Jesus isn't actually communicating that they would have to physically eat his flesh and physically drink his blood. Nor is Jesus actually referring to the sacrament of communion. Follow this out with me a little further. In verse 54, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. All right, now, 
Here's the question. What does Jesus mean when he says to eat his flesh and to drink his blood? Let, let me read verse 54 to you, to you again out loud. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, let me back this up a little bit into verse 47. Because in verse 54, what we see Jesus saying is, eating his flesh plus drinking his blood equals eternal life. Now, mathematically, let's look at this in verse 47. In verse 47, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So, in verse 47, you take whoever plus believes equals eternal life. In both equations, you end up with eternal life. So, they must be equal. You know, whoever believes must be equal with eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So, he's not saying that to eat the communion at the communion table is to receive eternal life. That's not a salvific act. No, what he's saying is, you've got to believe. You've got to believe in me and the work that I accomplished on the cross. So, in other words, eating his flesh and drinking his blood is tantamount to placing your faith and your trust and your confidence in Jesus. And I understand that many would love to turn to John 6 here, these statements of Jesus and they would love to see the sacrament of communion. They'd love to see the Lord's Supper here. And that's understandable at first glance. He's talking about eating flesh, drinking blood. When we take communion, we hold up the bread and say this symbolizes the body of Jesus. And when we hold up the cup, we say this symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And on that last supper, Jesus took the bread and cup and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So it's very natural to see that here in John 6. However, what you have to remember is communion was a long way from being instituted at the point that Jesus said these things to the general populace. Secondly, as he's saying these things, keep in mind he is speaking to non-believers. Is that really a message that needs to be delivered to non-believers? Here, drink this and eat this and you'll be saved. No, and this is a meal here in John 6 that leads to initial salvation. And so in order to say that this is referring to the communion table or the Lord's Supper, we'd have to also confess that this indicates that if you eat communion, the Lord's table, then that is what saves a man. But clearly from verse 47, Jesus tells us that it is whoever believes that has eternal life. So this is not a communion table that leads to salvation. No, this is faith in Christ that leads to salvation. But let's think for a moment just on this statement, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. In a devotional sense, let me just back up and say that this is an extremely intimate and close kind of statement that Jesus is making. You know, in other words, I, I don't think that we would say this to anybody that we're close with in life. I would never look at my spouse or any friend and make this kind of statement, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But Jesus, in a non-grotesque way, is looking at the world and saying, listen, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. And I love the way that he is stating this because, you know, eating 
is necessary to get the advantages of the bread. The bread can be there, but unless you eat, it does not benefit you personally. I love it as well because eating is a response to a need that you feel inside. I am hungry, therefore I must eat. I am empty, therefore, and I am guilty, therefore I must receive Jesus and his cross. And eating, of course, implies that I make it my own. When that bread is on the table, it is the bread. When it enters into my mouth and becomes a part of me, it is my bread. It is me. And it is very close and personal. And and eating is an intensely personal thing. No one can eat for me. I cannot hand you my food and say, here, eat this for me. No, I won't receive the nutrients. It won't benefit me. I have to personalize it myself. And so a perfect illustration of what Jesus is, you have to you have to personally eat yourself of Christ in order to receive his benefits. You have to be responding to a hunger inside of your heart. You you see a need to eat of Jesus. And you have to appropriate him for yourself, to yourself. Now, moving on in our text, Jesus said in verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Again, a close, intimate relationship, abiding life. And uh, he says it this way, As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, that eternal life promise. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So again, the intimacy that Jesus wants. He says, if you feed on my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you will abide in me and I in him. As the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, if you feed on me, so you will live because of me. In other words, the same brand of intimacy that Jesus has with the Father that is found inside of the Trinity, Jesus desires to have with you and with me. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to experience him on a deeper, more intimate, more wonderful level. And I would encourage you to practice your relationship with the Lord. Get alone with him daily. Make time with him. Sit with him. Enjoy him. Walk with him. Talk with him. Cry out to him. And enjoy the intimacy and friendship and closeness that he longs to have with you. It will radically and wonderfully affect your heart and life. Now, in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? So they're beginning to understand his teaching and they're considering it totally unacceptable. And so the enthusiasm for Jesus as a political Messiah is sort of drawing to uh, a close. It It was a hard message for them. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, and, and when it says disciples, we're talking about a larger group of people than the, than the 12 that he'll eventually select for himself. He says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And so first in this little paragraph I just read, he points out his ascension. He says, I'm ascending to where I was before, back to the right hand of the Father. I came down as the bread and I will go back up. And uh, they couldn't handle either. And uh, all of it was offensive to them. But he tells them, he says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. This helps us in interpreting the entire text. When Jesus is saying things like, eat of my flesh and drink my blood, we understand there's life in those words, but we understand these words are spirit. And he tells them, I know there are some who do not believe. And uh, he, Jesus knew, John writes in the little parenthetical statement, that Jesus knows those who did not believe. And who would betray him, which is fascinating to me, that he was willing to walk with Judas and love on Judas. After this, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many people began to abandon him at this point. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter just had this recognition inside of his heart. You're the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? There is no alternative. We believe and we trust in you. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So uh, this betrayal of Judas, he was obviously a man still responsible for his own choices, but Jesus endured such deep betrayal. Psalm 55 verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech, verse 21, was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. I just love the willingness of Jesus to suffer in seemingly every way possible, including betrayal for you and for me. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.